As a church, we're studying John, uh, the gospel according to John, uh, to specify, and we are in chapter 6, verses 16 through 21 this morning. So if you have a Bible, which I hope you do, uh, John chapter 6, in verses 16 through 21, I'm going to be teaching from the ESV. Uh, if you need a copy of God's Word, uh, there's a few left on the resource table in the back. Uh, feel free to uh, get up, go grab one of those. Uh, that's our gift to you. But John chapter 6, 16 through 21, I'm going to read for us, and uh, then we will pray and ask the Lord to help us as we prepare to hear from him. John chapter 6, 16, would you hear the word of God? When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Creator God, holy, upright, perfect, the one that has brought us all here this morning for different reasons indeed. I pray, Father, that you would use this time as we look at your word, we look at this, this story in the gospel of John, and we learn and we grow in our understanding of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would help us all to leave here different than we walked in. And, Father, we ask what we know not, you would teach us, and what we are not, you would make us. What we have not, you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. So if there is one thing in life that I am certain is a common thread amongst all people who have ever lived, it is this. Life is full of ups and downs. No matter your background, no matter your current situation, I think everyone can relate to this very simple fact. See, the human experience is one that is full of highs and lows. It is one of the many things that connects us all to a certain degree. Just think about the past year of your life. I mean, I can't believe it's November already. And let's just look back at this year that has just gone by. What has happened in your life? What are some different things that you've experienced? What trials have you faced? What joys have you tasted? I think about maybe this past month, the month that just went by. Maybe this past week. Maybe just this morning, even. We're sure to see that there are peaks and valleys as we navigate the complexities of living in the realities of a fallen world. Now, surely the good times are much easier to navigate. 
But as the great 18th century commentator Matthew Henry once said, in times of tranquility, we must prepare for trouble, for it may arise when we little think of it. And Scripture tells us of this reality. I want to draw your attention this morning to the comfort of Christ amidst the storm. The comfort of Christ amidst the storm. And look, God's word often uses the sea as a symbol of chaos and disorder. Uh, Essentially, it's one of the clearest depictions of the highs and lows of the human experience. Uh, We see this really pointed out in uh, the great psalms that really uh, illuminate the highs and lows of the human experience. In Psalm 65, 7, we read, Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples? In Psalm 89, 9, the psalmist writes, You rule the raging of the seas. When its waves rise, you, speaking of God, still them. In Psalm 107, 28, and 29, we read, Then they cried to the Lord, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. So we see this metaphor, this picture of chaos and trials and distress is pictured in being a part of our lives. Here in John chapter 6, we see a very clear portrait of Jesus Christ supplying the comfort we need when we feel as if we are in the middle of the chaos. We're middle of the sea, just just trapped in a boat with, with nowhere to look but to Christ. As we look at this passage, I want to point out four characteristics of Christ As we look at this story, four characteristics of Christ, I'll give them to you and then we'll walk through it. First, we'll see the instruction of Christ, the instruction of Christ. Second, we'll see the watching eye of Christ, the watching eye of Christ. Thirdly, we'll see the power of Christ. Of Jesus Christ. The power of Christ. And then fourth and finally, we'll see the comfort of Christ. The beauties of the comfort of our Savior. Let's look at our text. So we come here to verse 16 and we read, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat, and they started across the Sea of Capernaum. So here we are right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 men. We looked at that last week, and we're coming right off of that. I mean, this is the place, if, you weren't, uh, if you're not familiar with that story, where, where Jesus, he, he turns five loaves or little crackers probably and probably two sardine-sized fish. He turns this little Lunchable into enough to feed 
thousands of people. We can really assume that there were probably 10 to 15, uh, maybe 20,000 people that were actually there. The text tells us there were 5,000 men. So they have just experienced this great miracle. Uh, This miracle that has just taken place was so extreme and so phenomenal that the crowd wanted to take Jesus and make them what? Their earthly king. Like, we're going to make this man our king. I mean, he's going to provide all of our physical needs every single time we need them. We'll we'll never have to worry about anything else again in the physical. Uh, We know that really what they wanted Jesus to do was to come and to, to take over, to remove them from the rule and reign of the Roman Empire. They are looking here for an earthly king, not a heavenly king, as Jesus came the first time to provide. But Jesus is not having that, right? And we left off in our story where, where, where Jesus, he, he knows what's going on. He knows that the, the crowd is, is really, they're erupt with the hysteria of, of just looking at the fact that they want this man. And Jesus says, no, not now. You, you want me for the wrong reasons. You're, you're coming after me for the wrong things. It's This is not what I came to provide, so here's what we see happening. Jesus says, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. And he says, but my disciples, they need to go too. They need to leave the situation, uh, likely. So uh, Jesus is probably preventing them from getting caught up in the emotions of the crowd. Uh, He's likely protecting them from folly here. He wants to make sure the mob does not entice them to join in as well. So he says, you all leave. And then both Matthew and Mark, remember I reminded you last week that the gospels, they tell a story. There's different, uh, different details in each one. And if we look at both Matthew and Mark, we are told that he actually made the disciples go. They both use the word. He he tells them they they have to go. He's like, hey, go get into this boat. Go to the other side. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. And then it says that Jesus actually went to a mountain to pray. So Jesus is going to go, and he's going to have some alone time with God the Father, pray for um, the disciples, the situation, commune with his Father. And we read that the disciples do exactly what Jesus tells them to do. They obey the instructions of Christ. They they go. They get into a boat. They start to make their way across the Sea of Galilee. You know, I have to just wonder what they're thinking at this time. Like, Like, what's going on in the disciples' head? I mean, here Jesus has performed the most public miracle that has gained the attention of thousands. I mean, the crowd loves Jesus at this point. The crowd is is welcoming Jesus as their earthly king. They're like, we want to make this man our king here. I mean, from a human perspective, this is Jesus' time to shine. I mean, if Jesus just came for earthly reasons, like this was it. 
Hey, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's storm the capital. Let's go to the rulers. Let's, let's change our current situation. I mean, they've got a captivated crowd that says, hey, I, I want Jesus. We want him. I want to make them, make him our king. But Jesus has different plans. He tells the disciples, go. They're, they're coming off this, this, this high, and they've just experienced this. They're, it's been a great experience, a phenomenal experience. And let's just pause for a moment and just think about the situation that's coming. Now, we just read the text. We, we know what's coming the disciples' way. We know that Jesus is essentially instructing his disciples to get into a boat and go straight towards a what? A storm. Go straight into the storm. You've got you've to go. And look, Jesus knows this is coming. Jesus is God. He knows everything. He knows this is the direction. This is the plan. This is what has to happen. And while we ponder that reality, I want you to take note of the truth that obedience to Jesus may lead to temporary discomfort. Obedience to Jesus may lead to temporary discomfort. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus rarely instructs us to take the path of least resistance. I mean, the way is narrow, and those that find it are few. Jesus rarely tells us that the Christian life is going to be a path of ease and comfort. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And sometimes Jesus tells his followers to go straight to the storm. You know, in Acts chapter 14, when we read of uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're on their first missionary journey and they're they're going and they're preaching the gospel. They're sharing the gospel. And they're being what? They're being persecuted. There's trials and tribulation. And right after, uh, the apostle Paul is stoned and left for dead in Lystra. And then we read the Luke, the, the writer of Acts, he, he reports that this, I mean, there's, there's probably hundreds of things that he could have reported, but this is what he takes note of Paul and Barnabas' message. He says to them, in verse 22 of Acts 14, Paul says, or Luke says that strengthening the souls of the disciples, that Paul was encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations will we enter the kingdom. But church, we never truly go alone. We never truly go alone. Like a good shepherd, Jesus is always keeping watch on his people. We see there the second characteristic of Christ in the watching eye of Christ in the second part of 17 and verse 18, we read, It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. 
The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, I want you to just mentally get into the boat with the disciples here, all right? Picture yourself in the boat with these men. Once again, you've just experienced the emotional highs of a great miracle with Jesus. And I want you to just picture being in this boat, and there's a storm. It's chaos. He sends you into the night, and you're like, what is going on? Why is, is this the, the, the next step after what just happened? I mean, at this point, I can imagine the disciples are thinking, like, what did Jesus just get us into? Like, what in the world were we thinking when we followed Jesus and not the crowd? Why would he send us into the storm? Why would he put us here at this time? I mean, I can imagine some anxiety and panic was starting to sit in for these brothers. And, you know, we must ask, I mean, have you been there? Have, have you been there where you, you just questioned and wondered, like, what has obedience to Christ gotten me into? What is happening like, you know, I've been faithfully obeying God, and I just don't see the results that I thought obedience to Christ would bring. Have you been there? Have you just felt like <laughs> this obedience to Jesus thing is not really working out the way that I anticipated? I mean, when you look around and you see that you're all alone and the clouds and the chaos of the world is just, just, just coming in like a storm. Have you questioned? Have you wondered, like, did I make the right decision here? I mean, these disciples here are indeed in a boat in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a body of water. But brothers and sisters, while it may be true that, that they can't see Jesus Jesus still sees them. Jesus still sees them. He, he knows exactly where they are. Here we see the watching uh, eye of Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus always knows our circumstances and always knows our current need. John tells us here that it was dark, that a storm had developed, but Jesus had not yet come to them. The modifier yet is very important here. I mean, it, it implies the fact that Jesus is coming, that he knows what they need. He, he knows when they need it. He is planning to go. And he's going to go to them at the exact right time. Uh, chapter 6 of Mark's gospel is helpful here as Mark writes in verse 47, speaking of the same story here, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And then in verse 48, we read in Mark's account, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. 
He saw them. He knew where they were. He knew what was going on. He knew that they were striving and, and working and, and, and trying all they could. So brothers and sisters, we must take comfort that although they couldn't see Jesus, Jesus always saw them. And while Jesus' time of arrival may sometimes seem late to us, Jesus Christ is always on time. He never misses an appointment. He is always right where he is supposed to be. The great Charles Haddon Spurgeon once wrote, Do not be afraid, though you are utterly undone. Though you see no way of escape, the Lord can see where you can not. There are no such things as darkness and night to the eyes of him who perceives all things. That is our God. That is our Savior. Beloved, we are never out of the sight of Christ. Jesus is always watching. He always sees us. He always knows. And we will never find ourselves in a situation that surpasses the power of Jesus. We see that here in verse 19. As we look at the power of Christ, we see that when they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles or so wide. So if they've rode about three to four miles, they're probably right smack dab in the middle of this body of water. And they've been rowing for hours. You ever rode against the wind in a canoe or a kayak or something? It's not easy. So they're rowing for hours, and really they, they haven't gotten very far. They, they haven't gotten to their destination for sure. Their current circumstances surrounding them is really prohibited them from, from being where they want to be, where they think they should be. And then we see the fifth miracle of Jesus in John's gospel. Jesus walks on the water. He, we read he comes near to them walking on the water. Now, this is phenomenal. I mean, here's a grown man defying the laws of gravity by, by walking on the water. He's defying all atomic structure and everything that we can think of. He's walking on water. Disciples know that people don't walk on water. So when they see this figure coming towards them, we, we read naturally that they're afraid. They're, they're a little afraid here because they're in a storm and we read that their fear was heightened, illuminated in the text that they see someone, something coming towards them. But remember, like, this isn't the first time that these men have been together in a boat in the middle of a storm. Uh, they've, they've been together 
in a boat, in a body of water. Uh, the last time is different because Jesus was what? He was with them. He was asleep. He's, he's resting. He's, uh, the storm develops. He wakes up, and what does he do? He calms the storm. Quiet storm. Disciples are like, who is this man that the, the sea and nature listens to him? So they've, they've, they've been here before, but we know they, they have some sense of knowledge of the power of Jesus based on their experience. I mean, they've seen that Jesus Christ has all power over all creation. They've experienced this with him. I mean, they have witnessed his ability to quiet a storm by his words. But oh, how quickly we as humans forget. How quickly do we forget the power of Christ? I mean, oftentimes when we are caught in the storms of life, we forget the power of our Savior, don't we? We forget who Jesus Christ really is. We forget that our Lord is the divine Son of God who conquered our greatest enemies, sin and death, once and for all by dying on a cross, being raised again to new life, ascending to heaven, and is now seated at the right hand, mediating on the behalf of his people. Praise be to God. That is our God. We forget the saving power of Jesus Christ that while we were dead, dead in our sins, our trespasses, dead, without hope, without ability, without the option to do anything on our behalf to gain salvation. Paul tells the church in Ephesus that what? That's when we were made Alive together with Christ. The power of Christ to save. The power of Christ that is extraordinarily displayed by his walking on water is great. But the power of Jesus Christ is far more evident in his ability to provide regeneration to dead sinners like you and like me. That is the greatest miracle that has ever taken place. Now, remember the purpose of a sign even. The purpose of these miracles is to do what? To, to point us to the power of Jesus. It's to communicate and convey information. Any sign we see is to communicate something, to, to show us something, to point to something else. Remember kind of the illustration of a lamp? That the lamp's job is to really illuminate something else. We don't just gaze at a lamp like, oh, that is just a beautiful lamp. Love that. It's just so gorgeous. Let me just stare at this, right? The th same thing with the sign. We, we don't just look at signs like, all right, this is a great sign. You know, try that the next time you're, you're driving home, students, right? Like, this is a great sign. I'm just going to keep looking at it, right? And you need to take the sign and, and the road sign and, and go to turn. It's directional. It gives us insight points us towards something else. And what does John tell us, right? We get the thesis statement of the Gospel of John when we read that these things are written so that 
you may what? Believe. We should all know this by now. That we should believe. These signs are given so that we believe. And by believing, that we will have life eternal with Jesus Christ. The point of this miracle is to further Jesus' testimony that he himself is indeed God. He's the one that came to seek and save the lost. And friends, those that truly acknowledge the reality that Jesus Christ is the all-powerful Savior who has creative power over all things, the ability not to only walk on water, but the one who created water himself. Those by faith who trust in this great Savior are promised a great comfort for the troubles of this world and beyond. We have hope. We have joy in knowing that this is the God of our salvation. As we look at verses 20 and 21, we see the comfort of Christ on display here. He says, But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So the disciples, they've seen this unexpected figure coming towards them. They're caught off guard. They're afraid because they know that people don't walk on water. But Jesus comforts them by saying, it is I, do not be afraid. The phrase, it is I, could be rendered, I am. I am. And what does this remind us to? It's likely a connection to Jesus' self-identification as God himself. The great I am, the way that, that was a declarative name of God in the Old Testament. It's like, it, it is I. I am God. I am here, God with us. Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, the one who's come to save. And Jesus is essentially saying here that God is with you right here in the middle of the storm. Like, like I've seen your struggle. I've, I've seen that you've been working hard. You've been rowing for hours, and guess what? You've gotten nowhere. You've accomplished nothing. You've attained little. But now I've come to you to provide comfort. And church, I think this is a great reminder to us all that no human striving can fully provide the results we need. There is no human striving that can get us to where we want to be. No matter how hard we try on our own, we can never get ourselves to the place that we need to be. Jesus must intervene from the start of salvation all the way to the end. We must daily depend and rely on the comfort of Jesus Christ to see us through to the other side. 
Look, we can't handle the troubles of this world on our own. And thank God we don't have to. I mean, what comfort should we have knowing that Jesus is with us? We read that they were glad to take him into the boat. Oh, it's you, Jesus? Come on in, right? Like, I mean, yes, amen. Join us in the struggle. Join us. And then what happens? It says that they immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So we, we see that Jesus Christ removes the, the fear by his comfort. The, the fear is removed. They invite him into the boat. And then the boat immediately reaches the destination. Some say that that's another miracle in and of itself. Uh, we don't know exactly what John means here. But here's what we do know. For John's original audience, uh, verses 29 and 30 of Psalm 107 would have uh, been very familiar. And the psalmist, when writing about the great redemption of the Lord, psalmist writes this. He made the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. That would have been very familiar for them. And the point is that God always stills the storm and gets us right where we need to be. And he gets us there right on time. Does it exactly according to his sovereign hand, his sovereign will, his sovereign provision. And it's a journey that is often full of storms, and they are all purposeful in showing us a clearer picture and helping us to understand God himself. The great Puritan John Bunyan once wrote, no man without trials and temptations can attain a true understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Whatever storm, whatever chaos your life may be, there's purpose in that. The Lord is working. He can use it. Brothers and sisters, it is often in our times of trouble that the comfort of Christ is most clearly evident in our lives. And it is in these times we abundantly grow in our understanding and love for Jesus. Last week I mentioned that the Bible tells us one big story about God's plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. It is a big picture of God's redemptive plan to save his people. This is called the meta-narrative. It's the overarching theme of Scripture. Remember I mentioned that inside the Bible there are other shorter stories that tell us of the bigger story. They, they, they tell a shorter version, and we, we see glimpses of God's provision and care for his people. And here, as we just finished up this portion of chapter 6 where we saw the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water here today. I want to close with just two typologies 
uh, things that will help us to see the bigger picture of Scripture. So think of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water that we just looked at today. And and I want us to just kind of zoom out for a moment. Uh, The first typology that we'll look at is just the one that I mentioned last week, and that is that John here is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the greater Moses. Remember that we read that Passover was at hand. This is a very important time for this people. It was an important time where they remembered the provision of God, that he delivered them from slavery in Egypt, that God provided for them. He delivered them. Moses was the great leader in this time, if you remember. Moses mediated between the people and God. Last week, we saw that just as God provided food for his people while they were hungry in their wilderness, that Jesus Christ has the greater power to provide food from nothing, that he provided food when they needed it. And if you recall, in Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites are being chased down by Pharaoh's army, if you remember that, and they, they get to a, a body of water, And what happens? Like, what were we thinking? Like, where are we going to go? Pharaoh's army is is here. It's it's on the way. What does God tell Moses to do? Stretch out your hand, your staff. He says, I will, what? Will part the waters. You will pass. I will provide deliverance. So what happens? That's exactly what Moses does. He obeys. And they, they get to the other side, and Pharaoh's army follows them in. And what happens? They destroy, they're swept away. And God says, I'm going to get you to your destination. I'm going to get you there. I will deliver you. And that's what happens, right? God is faithful to provide what he promises his people. The Israelites pass. They escape harm's way by the mighty hand of God. And here in our passage today, John is once again showing us the fact that Jesus Christ is the great deliverer. The the Exodus, the, the New Testament Exodus, the gospel Exodus of his new people. No more distinction. Now Jew and Gentile alike. We delivered away from sin, bondage, death. Our greatest enemy provided by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the ultimate power over creation. He can do whatever he wants in creation because guess what? He's the creator himself. Hebrews tells us this, right? I mean, all things were created by him and for him. This is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the better Moses who has come to deliver us once and for all. For all. Is that your hope today? Is that who you are trusting in for deliverance? 
Second typology I want to point out this morning as we close our time is found in a very familiar passage in Psalm 23. I want you to turn there, Psalm 23. We're just going to look at the first four verses here. Very familiar passage and Psalm of David and it's just crying out here. Psalm 23, and he starts off, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, stop right there for a second. I want you to just recall and remember the passage we read last week in verse 10 of chapter 6, where, where John specifically says that Jesus said, have the people sit down. And what else does he say? There was much grass in the place. He says, have them sit. There's much grass there. Then we go on and it says, he leads me beside still waters. Now, once again, pause and think back. And remember that the mountain, mountain that the feeding took place on was right beside the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we have no reason to think that the, the water at the time of the feeding was anything but still. I mean, the disciples actually, they, they head out. Uh, likely, if it had been rough already, they would have said, like, Jesus, uh, should we probably, like, wait until the storm passes? Most scholars and commentators and alike would say that the waters were likely still at this point. And then it goes on in verse 3 of Psalm 23. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, it's important to know here that that the Sea of Galilee was about 700 feet below sea level. It is surrounded by mountains on every single side. So at this point in the disciples' journey, they are essentially in the middle of a valley. All around them is mountains. They are faced with the darkness, the exhaustion of of rowing and striving and, and working, of being caught in the storm here. What does Jesus do? He comes to them. He goes to them in the valley, in their place of darkness here. I mean, this is just like we read in Psalm 23. The shepherd comes walking. He comes to them in the valley of the shadow of death. And he reminds them what? 
reminds them that they need not fear because he is there with them. Always watching, always seeing, always knowing exactly what they need. This passage shows us that Jesus is the great shepherd that each and every one of us need. The great shepherd that the Old Testament pointed to. The great shepherd that would come and provide the hope, the power, the provision, the sacrifice that would ensure that although we may see the valleys at times, we will not see the valleys forever. We will be with our Lord and Savior, rejoicing in eternity with him forever. Praise be to God. So men, women, children, teens, whoever you are, whatever your situation Whatever you're dealing with, those dealing with sickness, the Lord is your shepherd. Those dealing with struggles, the Lord is your shepherd. Those dealing with anxiety, the Lord is your shepherd. Those dealing with crippling depression, Doubts, fear, whatever you may be struggling with, the Lord is near and the Lord is your shepherd. Whatever you are dealing with today, whatever struggles may come tomorrow, let the comfort of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, provide the ultimate Bomb that will eternally help all of our wounds. May we cast our eyes on Christ. May we rest in the comfort that Christ provides as we look to him. Let us pray. Father God, you are so good to us. And you have provided far beyond anything that we could provide for ourselves. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that because of Jesus Christ, those that place their faith in him, trust in him for his finished work on their behalf, can rest in this promise. Father, I thank you that we do not have to fear this world, but we have a hope that abounds in Jesus Christ. We thank you that your word rings true, that from beginning to end, we are promised a Savior, and we see that in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.